Good morning. This is Alicia Bales. I'm live in the studio and on the Zoom with me is Dr. Drew Colfax. Good morning, Drew. Good morning, Alicia. How are things going? From well, points going beyond. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're here holiday for holiday weekend. Yeah. It's a super spreader Thanksgiving. Yes. Oh, goody. Well, let's talk about all of that. This is the local coronavirus update. We have moved uh, this month to alternating Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10. And so we are here just like we have been for the last couple of years now to answer your questions about the coronavirus pandemic and bring you the latest information. And the call-in number here in the studio, I'm broadcasting from the Ukiah studio, but it's still the same number, 707-895-2448. That's 895-2448. But first, uh, Drew, what you got for us? What's the latest? Well, the latest locally is still um, more or less the status quo. We keep adding about 20 um, new COVID cases per day uh, in our rather small county, which is a pretty high rate. Uh, We are exceptionally high when compared to the surrounding counties and have been for um, a number of weeks now. It's been sort of disappointing to see our numbers not fall um, in any significant um, or meaningful way. So in the last two weeks, we've added approximately 250 new um, documented cases of COVID, bringing our total count up to 8,100. Um, there are about 275, 280 people in isolation and quarantine. Uh, our hospitalization rate, which is really the metric that most of us are most concerned about, uh, remains manageable, um, but not, not negligible. We have, I think, right now seven in the hospitals in the county, three in the ICU. Um, and we've had um, two more deaths in the last two weeks, bringing our uh, total fatality rate from COVID uh, up to 94 in the county. And our numbers, our rate um, is about twice per capita um, of Sonoma County, and it's three to four times higher, even more than that, uh, compared to the Bay Area counties. Uh, we are higher when compared to the rest of California. California in general um, is trending slightly downward for the moment. Uh, we're adding about 5,000 cases a day. Uh, hospitalization rates are slightly downward statewide as well, but it doesn't really feel like it. There's not a lot of capacity when I'm working. Um, having worked this past weekend, uh, it was very hard to find hospitals that had available beds, um, which is, you know, pre-pandemic, that wasn't unusual. And just even with the low rate of hospitalization, it just adds an extra pressure that is very much felt in the emergency room. So what is Mendocino doing differently from all of the surrounding counties? Why are our numbers so persistently poor? I don't have a, I I wish I had a, I'm sure um, public health wishes they had a good answer for that as well. I don't really have a great one. Um, I think that the, the, the cases that continue to um, come up are, you know, primarily amongst the unvaccinated and not exclusively. Um, and there's still large pockets of this county that just don't have very high vaccine rates. Um, and it just keeps spreading uh, amongst those uh, individuals. You know, that and combined with the increased socialization that we're all seeing, schools are open, kids are spreading it, they're bringing it home, they're getting together with grandparents and you know, the people that show up in the ER, by and large, uh, who are symptomatic, um, are unvaccinated. 
usually kind of middle-aged or even younger. Uh, we have a pretty high rate of vaccine uptake amongst the you know 65 plus uh, crowd across all demographics, really. Um, it's not quite as high as we'd like, but it's pretty good. But the people who are getting sick and symptomatic are people in their 30s and 40s who you know tell me um, on their second or third or fourth visit um, that they really just didn't think this was going to affect them in any significant way. Right. You hear that a lot from people who aren't elderly that, well, I mean, I'm younger. I'm not going to, I'm not as vulnerable to it. I'm not going to get sick. And it's not really about, I mean, you're saying that actually they are getting sick, but it's, it's also the considerations are more than just what happens to you as an individual. Well, of course, but, you know, what I hear sort of on the individual basis, you know, when I ask them why you weren't vaccinated, some people just sort of shrug regretfully and most of them will be like, well, I just didn't think it was a big deal or I didn't think it was going to affect me or my family. So I just didn't worry about it. And, you know, it's it's obviously too late at that point. Um, They're sick and, you know, we're you know coming back to the ER for reevaluation. Um, so it's. It's a it's a it's an explanation that I hear over and over and over again. Well, the other thing that um, that strikes me is that you just mentioned that our hospitalization is uh, we're still quite high. I mean, seven is still a lot. And also two more deaths in, in the county in the last couple of weeks. But it's not making the kind of news that it made even six months ago. I don't even know if people are tracking it anymore. And how do you think that affects your work and the work of public health to make people really get it that this is still with us and still a deadly situation why well, you know it's it's understandable that it's not being tracked i mean you know it, you know when we're at war for five or 10 or 15 or 20 years in this country it's not like it's a banner headline every single day and people just stop paying attention um and so this is going to exist this is going to persist for months to years we're going to have covid amongst us you know for the rest of our lives um we're not going to have the you know the bi-weekly coronavirus update for the rest of our lives thank god because at some point it's going to become normalized um and it's just going to not require this level of attention we're not there yet but a lot of people certainly feel like they've heard enough of it and simply are not engaged on it anymore and that's that's entirely understandable. Um, I think it makes it very hard for public health to sort of get the traction in terms of their outreach efforts to get people to come in for the booster shot or to come in for their first uh, series of vaccines, or even now for parent, for people who come in with their children ages five to eleven for you know their now eligible um, pediatric vaccine. We saw uh, headlines in today's paper about a fourth wave in Europe. Uh, and and are we are we going to continue to see waves like we seem to be experiencing as things normalize more and more? Yeah, I, I think you know I, I, the waves are going to get smaller. Um, is kind of the way I would the way I would think about it. And really, what I when I think about the waves, it's not even necessarily the the case counts um, or the number of cases. It's really the wave of hospitalization that that really creates. Um, interest in the medical community. It's fine if there's, you know, 100,000 people a day across the country who have mild COVID. That's not a big deal. But if you end up with 20 or 50 or 100,000 people hospitalized with COVID, then that that's more significant. Um, and I don't think we yet have enough induced or natural immunity um, to forestall another wave. I, I think that's going to be coming. Um, 
locally in California, at least over the course of the next six to eight weeks. You know, what we look like in, you know, the first week or two of January, it won't be as bad as last January, but I think it's going to be considerably worse than it is right now. I hope I'm wrong, but with our vaccine rates hovering, you know, around mid sixties, uh, there's still more than enough people to get COVID and get symptomatically sick and, and present for medical attention. Uh, do you see the, the wave this winter being driven by holiday gatherings or is there some other cause? No, no. Yeah. It's going to be driven by holiday gatherings and schools in session. And people are doing more or less everything that they used to do pre pandemic, which is understandable. I and mean, we've been locked down for two years. This is, you know, gone on long enough by anybody's measure. The, the continued source of frustration, obviously, is the 55 or 60 million eligible Americans who have not yet gotten vaccinated. Um, and that, that cohort is really helping keep COVID amongst all of us. Um, and so that will continue until a significant fraction of those people either get COVID, get vaccinated, um, or, you know, something worse. All right. So what else you got for us before we open the phone lines? Well, the other, the, the big news sort of in terms of, um, medical developments is the booster is now available for all. So there's not any sort of qualifying, um, loosely applied qualifying restrictions for getting the booster. So for those of us who have been wanting the booster, um, go get boosted and you can mix and match. I think actually the mix and match news um, might have broken right around the time of our previous show, but uh, the CDC and the FDA realize that mix and matching makes sense, uh, both from a logistics perspective, but also from a from a, a biologic perspective. How do you get boosted? Well, you can go to any boost shop. <laughs> the boosterizer? Um, yeah. Do you just go into a pharmacy? Do you have to make an appointment? <laughs> Yeah, you can make an appointment at a pharmacy. The FQ, the federally qualified health centers across the county um, are all giving regular booster. Um, they usually set aside a few hours, um, one day of a week or two days a week. So give them a call. Um, you can always call the county hotline and get uh, referred to where that might be occurring um, in terms of sort of more more mass events, but it's pretty easy to get the booster. There's ample supply of vaccine really nationwide. Um, so the boosters are available. And, you know, a lot of people have actually gotten the booster um, already who may or may not have strictly qualified just because providers were pretty willing to boost those who wanted it. All right. I guess I'll have to put that on my holiday to-do list. Yeah, you might want to set aside the next day because unfortunately the, the side effects are not, they have not gotten any better with the booster. I'll have to find something to stream, some some like binge watch or something like that. And just stay yeah, on the you, couch. you can watch like, I don't know, Contagion or something. Right, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. pandemic-themed day yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. Okay, yeah. what else? Uh, the other, the big thing I think that's going to change the course of this pandemic over the course of the next six months to a year are these oral antivirals that are in the pipeline. Um, they are remarkably effective. Um, not, you know, not quite as um, startlingly effective as the vaccine, but boy, you really couldn't hope for a more effective oral antiviral success. Um, both the one from Merrick and the one from Pfizer um, are going to really change the management of COVID um, 
in the symptomatic people in the coming months. It's going to really allow us to treat this in a way that is much, much more readily managed, make it much less scary. Um, it's going to be extremely valuable in people who are um, immune suppressed. Um, we're probably going to see it come out and be used um, prophylactically. So for people who are um, have, who have had a known exposure and might be at risk of getting bad COVID, um, even if they're vaccinated. Uh, I imagine these pills are going to be approved for that cohort of people in the coming months as well. So, so it's like a COVID a- morning after pill. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Plan B COVID. Great. Yeah. Plan C. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a pill that you take when you have been exposed or when you have gotten a positive test. Well, so, so currently right now, the way it's the way the studies that were designed is that they were tested in unvaccinated uh, people who were symptomatic um, and they were started within a few days of the onset of the illness um, and both of them, uh, the molnupiravir and the Paxlovid, um, showed remarkable efficacy in um, presenting ho- preventing hospitalization and death. Up and you know the the one from Pfizer, the Paxlovid, was around eighty five to ninety percent effective. Um, so really remarkably wow. effective at preventing the the outcomes that are most of interest. Um, now these are in unvaccinated people, so I think we can anticipate. Um, that they won't have such the same, you know, effectiveness ratio um, in the vaccinated population, but still, you know, it's it's remarkable. Because vaccinated people aren't presenting and having horrible symptoms and death the way that unvaccinated people are. So it'll still be Correct. effective. It just it won't be shockingly effective. Exactly. You know, the, the death rate, you know, when you compare the death rate of vaccinated versus unvaccinated people, it's around 13 times higher in the unvaccinated uh, compared to um, the vaccinated. And so, you know, this pill is going to help the vaccinated, but just not the same rate. So what does that mean for the next year of this pandemic or so? It, it means that we're going to be able to I think start to approach something resembling normalcy um, and it would what it will require is um, expedient testing with rapid uh, turnaround of test result time so you can get the medicine started uh, within the you know three to five day window from the the time of onset of symptoms so it will require that it will require a certain degree of vigilance because you're going to want to get this started but it's going to give us finally um a very effective um easily administered um medication that's going to drastically alter the course of the illness in the majority of people is it just one dose or do you have to take a course no it's a multi-day course um it's you know, twice a day, it's a number of pills of each um, for five days. And what's the timeline for approval? I think you said that, but just... I think that Molnupiravir will probably be approved sometime next month. So probably by the end of the year. Pfizer's probably a little bit behind, but they've both they have both applied for um, uh, emergency use authorization already. So we'll see. Um, but I, I think the Molnupiravir will probably be available by the end of the year. Do you think that people who might be hesitant to get vaccinated will be more comfortable with this pill regime? Or I, you know, it's funny you ask that. I, I, I don't know. Um, there's, there's, there'll certainly be the, you know, the, 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 
grounds for concern for these new, you know, emergency authorized medications that, you know, do weird things to the viruses that make the viruses die. And so it's going to create angst and anxiety amongst a minority of people, I have no doubt. Um, I, I do think um, in my experience, though, that the word vaccine seems to really trigger some sort of um, you know, basic paranoia that other medicines don't. Um, and so whether it has the same degree of uptake um, remains to be seen. I have seen more than a few people who are unvaccinated but willing to you know, take the the monoclonal antibody treatment that is emergency use author, authorized by Regeneron, you know, and it's, it, there's so many questions about, you know, why you're worried about the vaccine, but you're willing to accept this treatment regimen. It's, you know, it, it's not rational. Um, and so the, the irrational amongst us, I'm sure will, will be there, but um, we'll see. Probably once you get a positive test, it changes your thinking. Well, that's the nice thing about these drugs is, you know, once you get a positive test and you're symptomatic, um, then you might want to consider your options, right? And once you're symptomatic, you can't get vaccinated anymore. It's too late for that. So this will actually allow people when they get the illness to, to sort of recalibrate the risk benefit and hopefully present for for treatment. How do these new oral antivirals compare in effectiveness to the monoclonal antibody treatment? Are they much more effective? They're much more effective. Um, they seem to, they, you know, the, in the clinical trials, they seem to have a lower risk of side effects. The monoclonal antibodies have to be administered through an IV infusion um, with, you know, in a hospital setting with sort of continuous monitoring. So they're both much more effective and much more easily administered. And, you know, their, their mechanisms are different. Um, the two, these two medicines are different in terms of their, me- their mechanisms. So we could foreseeably see um, sort of some sort of treatment protocol that involves both of them um, sometime, you know, by mid-year next year, much like, you know, treatment for HIV, uh, which typically involves a cocktail. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you ready to open the phone lines? Sure. Okay. The number here is 707-895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update Tuesday morning edition. We've dropped down to twice a month rather than every week. Uh, but that's right. That's appropriate as we move into, um, you know, f- figuring out how to kind of live with this virus. And we've got the phones already starting to ring. So that's 895-2448. I'm Alicia Bales on the line with Dr. Drew Colfax. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Hello. I am interested in seniors that are fully vaccinated that die with no comorbidities. Do you have any statistics for our area, for the country, or can you talk about that? Because I know the vaccines are only 90-something percent effective, right? Yeah, I mean, the county website says the vaccines are 98.973% effective, which is embarrassing for the county to keep that statistic up. It makes no sense, um, and it is incorrect. So. I don't know if anybody from county is listening, but please, please take that down. That's you're just embarrassing yourselves. But to answer your question, um, I don't have the numbers. You know, of the 94 people that have died in this county, how many people were unvaccinated with no risk factors? I, I don't have that number in my fingertips. I'm no, sorry. That's not what um, I was asking. 
I want to know about fully vaccinated seniors without comorbidities that have died. Okay, so I'm, I'm if sorry. any, if any. Yeah, I, well, the biggest the the biggest risk factor, and I was asked about this maybe two weeks ago, um, and I, I neglected to mention it in my in my rattling off a list of risk factors. But by far the biggest risk factor for a bad outcome from COVID. Um, is age. Um, it's it's really the the biggest predictor by far and away. Um, there have been fully vaccinated seniors who have had no other risk factor other than being senior who have died from COVID. Um, I don't know if there are any in this county um, because as we age, we also tend to accumulate things like high blood pressure and diabetes. Um, and those are obviously, or maybe not obviously, those are risk factors for a bad outcome independent of age. Um, so I, I can't answer your question as to if there have been any um, fully vaccinated seniors who have succumbed to COVID in this county. I don't have a national breakdown in terms of what that number looks like um, nationwide. In general, the statistic in terms of risk of death is 13 times higher um, in the um, unvaccinated population than the unvac than the vaccinated population. And that carries through all age uh, ranges. All right. I guess the caller hung up. Thank you, caller. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Hello. Caller, Hello? you're live on the air. Hi. Um, I had a question. I had two questions, actually. The first one, I heard you guys mention that there's going to be those, um, like, pills that are going to help to treat the virus. Are those going to be available in, like, rural area clinics once they get emergency use authorization? Yes, they will be yeah. distributed. Um, I, there won't be immediate distribution, but uh, these two drug companies are gearing up um, to make a lot of money off of these pills. So there will be a fairly rapid deployment. Um, and I don't think it's going to be a regional. There might be a a few small pockets that don't get the pills, but I'm pretty confident that pharmacies are going to stock it locally quite quickly. Um, it's it's going to require a prescription, and they aren't going to be cheap, um, but uh, they will be available in this county, I imagine, within a couple of weeks of their being authorized. Okay, cool. And then my second question, which I'll take the answer off the air, um, what actually is the criteria that like the medical definition because i can't find it anywhere of what makes a virus vaccine resistant like what points does it have to hit thank you yeah so that that's a really good question and it's it's not that there are criteria um in terms of the structure of the virus it's really looking at the at the larger um the larger capacity of that virus to spread uh, and so as the virus mutates, as all viruses do, um, it acquires mutations that occasionally give it the capacity to evade uh, the mechanism of the vaccine's effectiveness. And when, you, when that happens, um, it oftentimes, or it will, you know, if given enough opportunity, start to result in increased spread, which is what we have seen with Delta. Um, and so once that is picked up and tracked and you start to see higher numbers in people um, who are vaccinated, then you can start to ascribe some degree of resistance to the vaccine. Um, 
unfortunately, the Delta is only minimally resistant to the vaccine. It's just much more contagious, which is why it became so prevalent uh, worldwide. Who knows what's, you know, what lies beyond in terms of the pipeline, but the, the, Good news, um, which I hadn't touched on yet, but the good news that we're looking at right now is that it appears that these two um, treatments, these two um, pill form treatments for um, symptomatic infection are going to be effective against, as far as we can tell, the most likely types of uh, mutations that will emerge from this virus. Um, and so we can expect some durable effectiveness from these uh, drugs that are in the pipeline. Okay, well, I have lots of questions about that, but I'm going to leave it to our callers to follow up. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, um, I'm calling from Idaho, and I really appreciate your program because I get good information regardless. In any case, my question involves um, testing. Uh, I'm a fully vaccinated individual, and about a week or so ago, I came down with symptoms that could have been a cold, don't know. Um, right. Could have been, you know, the, the symptoms of COVID are very similar to symptoms of a cold. In any case, um, I didn't really feel like toggling off and getting a COVID test, so I just hung in there, and after about three or four days, it sort of passed. And my question is, um, are there good at-home um, COVID tests? I mean, I know there's antigen tests out there, but they're not overly um, predictive or, shall we say, uh, good so there's my question. Are there decent yes. um, over-the-counter COVID tests? Yeah, the, the one the one that is pretty good is the Binax. Um, that's, that has largely been sold out due to some production snafus. Um, so whether that's available in Idaho, I don't know, but I haven't seen it locally. Um, I haven't checked in the last couple of weeks, but up until a couple of weeks ago, I hadn't seen it in pharmacies um, but that's that's adequately good for home use. I mean, it's on the range of about ninety percent. Um, and if you only have a mild case and you want to know whether you you know should isolate at home, then it's it's an adequately good test to get an answer to that without going to a testing center. The problem is it's just not readily available um, as of now. I'm pretty confident that they're working hard to get it redistributed and get production ramped back up but there has been a shortage for the last couple months of that test and that's the only that's the only actually good home test that i would suggest thank you for your um answer yep all right thanks for the call idaho man that has a low vaccination rate good luck sir Good morning, caller. You are live at on the Idaho, air. Man, yep, you need to turn that radio off. Thanks. Just got it. Yeah, um, I, I want to relate my experience with boosters. I've been interested in boosters for a while, and I've tried uh, catching your show and calling into it, and I either missed the show or missed it out on the phone lottery. But I eventually uh, tracked it down myself. And uh, I would say somewhat contrary to what the doctor said, that it's not necessarily all that easy to get a booster. I mean, they are around. But um, what what we wound up doing was going up to public. Uh, uh, we're inland people. We wound up going up to um, the county public health in Willits, where they offer it on Mondays and Wednesdays afternoons, and they accept drop-ins. And apparently some of the bigger pharmacy chains 
have it too. We we got on uh, myturn.ca.gov, which is where you're supposed to go to find this stuff. And it, it was too difficult to make an appointment on there, but their search did turn up a number of, you know, you can say where you are and how far you're willing to travel, and they'll give you a list of uh, locations. Uh, but I, I would like to see more public large-scale things like we had in the initial vaccination. But I think there might be kind of a, um, a vicious cycle of, of uh, not enough people looking for them, uh, not enough demand, and therefore uh, the supply is kind of spotty or something. But um, it's, I would say it's not super easy to find it, but with the holidays coming on, it seems like a worthwhile thing to do. Yeah, I, I think now that the um, restrictions on eligibility for the booster have been dropped, it's going to be a lot easier to get them at pharmacies because they're not going to be worried about whether you're qualifying or not. They're simply they're going to be a card or, or exactly. So I, I anticipate, yeah. yeah, I anticipate that'll be easier. And I will say that some of the federal the health centers around the county have done drive-through booster events. Um, those have been um, quite well attended in general, not quite as large as the initial vaccine events, um, but those have provided an opportunity for a large number of people to get boosted. Yeah, we, we um, just quite- weren't getting the word about them so yeah well you know there's there's not great communication around any of this in this county unfortunately um but the pharmacies are you know they're pretty easy to call um you know you can just call any one of the national chain pharmacies or even the grocery stores in the county that have pharmacies in them and they can usually tell you when and where to come in to get the shot uh, and make an appointment so that's not all grocery store pharmacies have it too mine didn't but yeah, it, anyway, it varies. Yeah. It's, it's right. definitely worth checking. Yeah. But it varies, you call yes. the big drugstores or some of the grocery store pharmacies. Yeah. It's good to know that you were able to get one through public health, too. So that's probably yes. a good stop is yeah, the public and, health and website. And that seems like a good idea for me because, you know, you, you'd like to go where they're doing a batch of them at once so they're not wasting the, the, the rest of the vial, you know. Um, well, that's exactly it. And that's why most of the clinics and to some extent the pharmacies are trying to set aside a day or an afternoon once or twice a week to make it the boosting day. So when they crack open a vial, they'll you know, have more than one or two people there to give it to. Yeah. So Ukiah's got it on Friday afternoons, but every they're, they're not doing it anymore this month. They have to wait till December at the fairgrounds. But this uh, Public Health in Willits does have it Mondays and Wednesdays afternoons. Okay, thank you. Good to know. Great. Thank Thank you you so much. I'm glad you're boosted, sir. Don't want to boost alone. (laughs) 895-2448 is the number, 707-895-2448. This is KZYX. We're here with the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales on the Zoom with Dr. Drew Colfax, who is Zooming in from presumably normal people stuff like family trip for the holidays family thanksgiving holiday yes exactly (laughs) all right let's take another call good morning caller you are live on the air good morning uh yeah the last caller um i've seen those signs uh call my turn and do this and get on the website and baloney i i got walk into walgreens and uh say you want a booster and uh, 15 minutes later you walk out i mean yeah that's quick and easy that's 
that's what I've been hearing anecdotally as well. And I got to say, like the My Turn website, it, it's enough to make you pull your hair out the number of boxes and yeah. you know clicks you need to do. Um, yeah, but that joke. might be, you know, that that might be by my rural um, internet access more than anything else. Yeah, me too. And and, and my my uh, um, <laughs> te- te- technologically challenged too. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and the spread, it's just. You still in a store the other day, and I, I just wear my regular mask. And there's a guy walks in, gets in line, no mask. He's like 35 years old, healthy looking guy, and he's sniffling and he sneezes. He turns and sneezes, just ah, phew, and he's like <laughs> sniffle, snuffle, and just you know, yeah, dude. I, it's it's best when you sneeze I, like that in public to yell COVID at the same time, just to put people oh, I, on notice. I, I, yeah. I, I walked back yeah. around and pulled out my, carefully pulled off my mask and slipped on my N95 and then got back. Yeah, the it's it's just, it's also fraught. And, you know, it, it, well, fortunately, I have to say anecdotally, you know, we are in a jurisdiction, um, even though we have ridiculously high counts still, we are in a jurisdiction where people, um, you know, use masks much more um, than other parts of the country by far. I mean, and my my I've wife has traveled that. to Alabama, yeah, and she says she can go for a day back. or two without seeing a mask. Oh, Del Norte County, no, nobody wears masks. They don't. They don't acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. At, at all. That's... Okay, I'll get off phone. Let somebody else talk. Okay. Thank you. Knees saga. Thank you. Eight nine five two four four eight. The lines were open. Now we've got a caller. Hello, caller. You live on the air. Yeah, I was wondering if you could tell me where to get tested at. Yeah, so the, the, the cheapest and best way to get tested is simply still to go to the Ukiah Fairgrounds. Um, that, that's a free testing site. Um, it's open multiple days a week. Um, and, you know, that's your one's best option. You can get tested at health centers to some extent. Um, obviously, the emergency room is a very expensive way to get the test. Um, but the Ukiah Fairgrounds Optum Serve site is up and running. Alicia, I don't know if you have that Googleable in front of you, but we can we can give you the days and hours of its operation in just a second. Sure, and I know they do have a traveling uh, testing van that goes throughout the county as well. So I will yes. do a little Googling, and we'll take our next call. Stay tuned, sir. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, thank you for the show. So um, my question for the doctor is, if, if you are vaccinated and you come down with covid symptoms or you you don't know if you're going to get covid um you might just have a cold um and you you don't think you want to get tested um should you isolate yeah I mean that's a really good question right i mean everybody this time of year is now particularly now that we're you know more interactive um people are getting colds and the sniffles and a cold and a sniffle in the time of covid could be covid um so it's it's hard to give you a good answer um as to whether you know whether you should self isolate for the ten days with the presumption that your sniffle is covid i mean if you're what I would recommend, um, you know, particularly uh, for those of us who are going to be around, you know, more elderly people or at risk people is to use some common sense and get tested if you're going to be potentially exposing yourself to people who would decompensate in a, in a you know, at high risk of decompensation from COVID. But if you're just staying at home and being more or less careful with the sniffle, um, then, you know, it doesn't necessarily mandate you're getting tested. 
obviously testing is the best policy, but I understand that there is reluctance to getting tested on a regular basis and there are transaction costs associated with that. But I would urge... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I the thought for caution. me, like that previous caller, um, the previous caller who was saying he thought he had a something and, you know, just getting around the holiday season, you know, I think it, it, it does worry me that a lot of people are vaccinated, but... I think a lot of people think that they they still can't spread the disease even if they are vaccinated. Um, well, right. And I just saw a health department report from England. The National Health Service of England is showing that um, officially there's more spread from vaccinated people than unvaccinated people in England. Sure, um, and that's because you know the the majority, the vast majority of people in England are vaccinated, um, and so yeah. you know it, it's a good point to keep in mind is like, the vaccinated can spread COVID. Um, so even if you're vaccinated, if you have a sniffle and you're going to be hanging out with your octogenarian grandfather, you should probably get tested before you do that, um, just to make certain that your sniffle is not COVID. Um, because even though your your octogenarian grandfather you know, presumably is also vaccinated, as we've seen, the vaccines don't always prevent severe illness or death. And so, you know, it's it's still a time of caution, to be sure. Um, but whether, you know, everybody with a sniffle should run to get tested immediately before doing anything else, I mean, that's, that's a pretty high burden to expect, um, as is the 10-day period of self-imposed uh, isolation with a presumptive COVID diagnosis just from, you know, a cold. Yeah, I would, I would, you know, I would suggest to families out there, you know, everyone getting together for the holidays, just maybe everyone just get tested, you know, before we all gather. Um, yeah, no, I, and, I, I, and just, I think you know, a- especially during this time of year, because um, we don't know there are so many colds going around, and if our goal is to squash this virus, we should really, um, you know, stay on top of that and uh, try and prevent the spread. So, thank you for the show. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a very good point. And, you know, the, the the aside, which I think most people, most certainly listeners of this show recognize, is you can also have a completely asymptomatic illness. Um, and so if you're going to be gathering, um, the safest course of action is certainly for people gathering um, to be tested before beforehand just to sort of minimize the risk of, you know, unwittingly spread it uh, amongst family members or friends. Cool. Thank you, Doctor. All yep. right, caller. Thank you for the call. Um, I do have the lengthy list of testing opportunities here. In oh, the county. lordy! All right. Uh, it is on Mendocino County Public Health's website. Uh, there's a little uh, banner at the top that says "Click here for COVID nineteen information." Um, this is the Thanksgiving holiday schedule. All the OptumServe testing sites are closed on Thursday and Friday. So, but in regularly in the Ukiah area at the Ukiah Fairgrounds, like you said, Saturday through Thursdays, uh, the OptumServe walk-in testing site is open from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. and 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. There's also a Friday uh, testing event through the OptumServe mobile bus on uh, in Hopland, and that's at 13101 Comus Road and from 9 a.m. to 12.45 and from 2 p.m. to 4.45, so you can get tested in Hopland for free on Fridays, but not this Friday because of the holiday weekend. In Willits at New Nuestra Alianza de Willits at the Little Lake Grange. Um, they're testing. Uh, they tested yesterday. They're going to test tomorrow, the 24th, from 9.30 to 4 p.m., and they're closed Friday. 
And the OptumServe mobile bus is in Willits on Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 12.45 p.m. and 2 p.m. to 4.45 p.m. That's at 111 East Commercial Street. In Anderson Valley, the mobile bus is in Boonville at the county fairgrounds on Mondays from 2 to 4.45 p.m. Uh, and on Wednesdays at the Anderson Valley Senior Center, there is testing from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. North Coast opportunities for testing in Mendocino. The OptumServe mobile bus usually is in Mendocino on Mondays from 9 to 11.15 at 998 School Street. Uh, in Fort Bragg, the OptumServe mobile bus is there from two, on Tuesdays from 9 a.m. to 12.45 p.m. and 2 p.m. to 4.45 p.m. at the Veterans Services Building at 360 North Harrison Street. Uh, there's also testing on Wednesdays at Mendocino Coast Clinic from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Drive through at the white tent on the north side of the clinic. You can call ahead to make an appointment, if, uh, and that's 964-1251. And also they're testing, Mendocino Coast Clinics is doing testing on Thursdays from 1 to 5 p.m. Same number, 964-1251. North County in Laytonville at the Long Valley Health Center, you can walk in for a test on Tuesdays from 8.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. AM. That's at 50 Branscombe Road. And on the south coast in Wallala, um, th- it's Thursdays testing with the OptumServe mobile bus from 9 a.m. to 11.15 at the community center. Not this week, though, because of Thanksgiving. Uh, same deal with Point Arena. Usually it's Thursdays from 2 to 4.45 in the afternoon at City Hall, uh, but not this week. So that's where you can get tested around the county. But if you didn't catch all that it's all there on the Mendocino Public Health website. So let's take our next call. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. I have a pretty simple question, I think. Um, is there any difference between the booster shot and the two previous, which I've already had? I just want to get the booster now because I had them in March. Nope, no so difference I- at all. It's exactly the same um, vaccine, same dose, same formulation. Uh, Neither the Moderna nor the Pfizer nor the J&J, for that matter, are any different. And the reason, I mean, there have been talk about they're having to modify it, but the Delta um, really hasn't evaded the um, effectiveness of the vaccine. So they they just decided to not go that route yet. All right. So it's all the same. All right. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Thanks, caller. You too. I heard it was um, 50% dose. Is that wrong? Oh, the Moderna. Jeez, you're, you're, you're losing my knowledge. Google, I know. help uh, us. I, yeah, the Moderna is half dose, um, I realized. I got the full dose, and boy, I could not endorse that. Um, but the Moderna is the half dose. Uh, and I think the Pfizer I think the Pfizer is a full dose. One way or another, it's the same, the same vaccine. Yes. Hello, caller. Are you with us? No, I thought I heard that. Hang up. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi there. Hey. My name is Diane Smalley, and I'd like to just say that uh, back in August, up here in Willits, several of us from the Mendocino County Herb Association put together um, a workshop, and it's on YouTube. And if you type in Community Immunity Willits, 
it will come up. And it's about three hours, and it talks about using herbal medicine for prevention and for, you know, treating the symptoms before and after one might contract, contact COVID. Um, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't replace the vaccine. The vaccine is important. Um, but it's got some really good information on it, and herbal medicine has a lot to offer to keep us well and help us to recover. Thank you. All right. Thanks for that. I bet that could be very yes. helpful if you're struggling with symptoms and you're isolated. Wanting yeah, community to feel immunity willits is what you look for. And is it .org? That, if you go to YouTube and ser- put that in the search oh, bar. Yeah, community immunity. That's the name of it. It's, the full name is Community Immunity Resilience and Wellness. And it was August 28, 2021. All right, terrific. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I, you know, I'm more on the allopathic side of things, to be sure, but I do appreciate her plug for the need for vaccines. Um, I certainly can recognize the, the um, efficacy of alternative re- uh, treatments for controlling mild symptoms or minimizing mild symptoms. I'm a little bit more skeptical of any herbal remedy preventing contagion. Um, I'm just not sure that there's much data to support that. But then again, this is not my area of expertise. All right. Diplomatic. 895-2448-707-895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales. I'm live in the studio. Dr. Drew Colfax is zooming in from points beyond, but it is the same show and we'll be here until just about 10 o'clock, minute before 10 o'clock, and then we will make way for Loose Cannon Classics and Susan Jewell, two hours of classical music from Fort Bragg. Let's take our next call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Um, yeah, I was wondering about the places that don't have people wearing masks. Somebody mentioned someplace that nobody's wearing them. And I'm wondering how much difference there is in the COVID rates in those places. You know, are they less than the ones that are completely masked up or are they better? I don't know, but I also don't understand why we have to take something uh, the government is really bad to me, but I understand they're trying to do their best. But still, if we don't take them, and you know they're not going to be taking them, a bunch of people aren't, and you keep trying to make these people that will not, no matter what, and you're using that as an excuse for the disease to keep going? Is that what it's going for? Um. Hey, I, I, when you say take them, are you talking about the vaccine, sir, or are you talking about masking? Well, I was talking about masking if the places that have no masks or have right. a better rate or worse rate for um, COVID infections, or the government doesn't, even, even if you don't believe that the government is bad sometimes, you may be being duped and you don't understand that you are. And I'm wondering what you do about things like that. Well, it's 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 confusing, right? I mean, there's a lot of lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation, and a lot of conflicting sources of information um, around not just masking, which has become sort of this this ridiculous, you know, lodestone of you know political affiliation and you know live free and die kind of um, ethos. Um, 
it also surrounds the vaccine. It's become this this flashpoint, um, really separated, divorced from the reality of the science. The data, which is part of your question and commentary, um, supporting the use of masking is quite robust. And we know that masking, um, when there's a high enough proportion of people using them, prevents the transmission, particularly in close quarters, particularly in settings such as hospitals and institutions and other other places that are more congregate. Um, and so the the recommendation for masking um, and the requirement for masking is is rational. It's being walked back, um, really not out of any basis of science, but out of political considerations. Um, you know, when we're still talking, you know, 25, 35% of the population being unvaccinated in a county, for example, that still has 20 cases a day, you know, 20 confirmed cases a day. You know, we still have a lot of COVID amongst us, and the masking requirement um, should be just that still. It shouldn't even be an open question. It's not a big ask. Right. Masking is good. I believe yeah. that. But I don't think yeah. the vaccines are. Well, that's, you know, that's, again, that's an interesting point that you raise. I'm not sure what your concern around the vaccines is. Um, but um, My know- concern is that you're trying to get everyone vaccinated so that, once it's done, you don't have to worry about that anymore. But that's not the reason. I don't believe that we're getting vaccinated strictly for the COVID. Well, what else would you be vaccinated for with the COVID vaccine? Something in the future. Something to do with the future, not right now. As soon as they get enough people vaccinated, that's when they'll trigger whatever it is that they're going to trigger, if they're going to trigger it. Yeah, I, 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 I'm concerned about get vaccinated and they trigger something. We're out of luck. The people who didn't yeah. get vaccinated are. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm kind of concerned about your news sources, sir. Um, I, I'm really not sure where you're getting that information. The COVID well, I'm vaccine. I'm not saying that there is information for that. I'm just saying that if it were a, a thing by the government or the world to curb population somehow that we don't know of yet, but we want to reach a threshold of people getting vaccinated before we trigger whatever it is that they want to trigger. Let us just all die from the vaccine. I mean, not the vaccine, but from the disease. If we're going to die from it, that's what diseases are for. I don't understand why it's such a bad thing to die. Okay, caller. Thank you for for those comments. Okay. Um, It raises a good point though. How do we know? And there are ways to know. You don't have to just sit in your worst paranoid fears about mass death. There are good sources of information, and we can make educated choices here. Right, Drew? (laughs) I agree. Really, the the thing that always befuddles me around conspiracies um, and conspiracy theories theories and theorists is there's always a deep-seated skepticism of government, um, which is fine. Um, I, I endorse that. But then there's this extremely robust belief in the 
capacity of government to maintain it. It's you know just an absurd level of secrecy surrounding a conspiracy that is so immense. I just, I just, it, it, it catches me every single time I hear it. Whether we're talking about vaccines or guns or you know one of the other many things that conspiracy theories tend to um, congregate around. Yes, we never see institutions be that effective at anything else. Why would they be yes. awesome at good conspiracies? Yeah, conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. No. So I think we do have time for one more call, and the phones are ringing off the hook. So let's try to fit in one more <laughs> yeah, caller. I, don't, I wonder why. <laughs> All right. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Uh, this is Annette. I haven't called for a while. You might not have noticed. But um, I have a question about treatments for COVID and the 10 million doses the Biden administration has purchased and what kind of game changer that's going to be. On one hand, it would be a, a, a huge one for reducing health care services costs and use if we could you know, really have a, a, a treatment through a pill. Um, on the other hand, I worry that that's even, you know, if anti-vaxxers are looking for another excuse to not get vaccinated, you know, they'll, they'll still see the, the, the virus as a, a cold and knowing they can just get treated if they go to their the, the doctor or the hospital. So, and when are we going to see these treatments anyway? It's not clear when, you know, Ukiah at the hospital will actually have these to provide to people. Thank you. So good questions. I, you know, I, I anticipate that we'll likely have molnupiravir, um, you know, in pharmacies in the county, um, perhaps even by the end of the uh, the end of December. Um, I, I think that's going to come pretty quickly. The Pfizer one, the news is really still pretty fresh, um, and I don't have a, a, a finger on the pulse of when that might actually be rolled out in terms of pill forms being deployed to Mendocino County. Um, uh, your concern about the unvaccinated deciding, you know, to remain that way, knowing that there's an alternative treatment is valid. Um, I, you know, the, the reality, however, is at this point, even though there are still people who are at this point now electing to finally get vaccinated for the first time, um, that rate of uptake has certainly slowed um, over the course of the last six months or so. It was driven a bit um, up during the early Delta surge back in August, late July, August, and early September, but it's just dwindling. And so what this will offer um, is a treatment, not just for the unvaccinated, which is good, um, but also for the vaccinated who are still at, you know, increased risk of doing poorly. We're talking about, you know, vaccinated people having the option now of getting a pill, uh, when they're mildly symptomatic that would further reduce the risk of having a severe illness or death. And so having this adjunct therapy to the vaccine is really going to be very, very effective um, for everybody, vaccinated or not. Um, it's also a lot cheaper and a lot easier than the monoclonal antibodies. has a you know a greater safety profile and is just going to significantly reduce the the morbidity and the mortality of this disease. Um, it's it's really it's a game changer in terms of treatment options. Um, I think it's going to really change sort of how we manage um, COVID in the clinical and hospital setting in a way, you know, in a way that we hadn't seen with anything except, you know, steroids for the most severe cases and oxygen for, you know, significant minority, uh, majority of people are hospitalized. So great strides in keeping people alive, whatever their beliefs about vaccines is good. 
Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's not like we don't treat people who are unvaccinated presenting with COVID. I mean, we, we do everything we can for them when they come to the hospital. Unfortunately, the, the main thing that we could have done for them was vaccinate them before they got COVID. Um, and these medicines are going to allow us to offer an effective treatment that um, can be started um, once they present um, symptomatic, you know, presuming that they present early enough in the disease course, which is a whole nother question. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this morning's local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales. I'm live in the studio. Dr. Drew Colfax is on the Zoom. Uh, It's been a great show. Thanks, Drew. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, callers. Thanks, callers. And um, any last words before people go off for their Thanksgiving celebrations? Well, you know, at this point, the Thanksgiving dinner might be as dangerous to the vaccinated amongst us as uh, COVID. But uh, be safe. Drive safely if you're going somewhere. You mean Um, uh, not dangerous? (laughs) (laughs) Just overeating? More dangerous for the turkey. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, and, you know, the caller sort of midway through the show made a good point. If you are gathering in a congregate setting, um, consider getting tested. All right. We're going to have to leave it there. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back in two weeks. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, indeed. This has been the Local Coronavirus Update podcast with Dr. Drew Colfax, produced by Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg, California. You can also hear us live on the web 24 hours a day at www.kzyx.org. If you'd like to listen live and call in to the local coronavirus update, you can find us in our new time every second and fourth Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Our live studio call-in number is 707-895-2448. You can also email your questions anytime at dj at kzyx.org. And you can always catch us right here as a podcast, KZYX Local Coronavirus Update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Our theme music is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams. And our outro music is a song called Stump Town, composed and performed by Zach Borden. I'm Alicia Bales. We'll see you next time.